I hope you never get tired of knowing that it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes the way. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we looked there Wednesday night just at some preliminary things, but I want to preach this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. On the topic, put on your big boy britches. Now, ladies, I'm not being, a, uh, you know, I'm not leaving you out. Huh? Most of y'all wear britches too. Just put on your big boy britches. Amen. I want to tell you, Jesus has found someone has written this in every book of the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, our high priest, numbers, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Deuteronomy, the prophet like unto Moses. Joshua, the captain of our salvation. Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. Ruth, he's our kinsman, redeemer. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. First and second Kings, the Lord our king. First and second Chronicles, he's our reigning king. Ezra, he's our faithful spouse. Nehemiah, the builder of broken down walls. Esther, our Mordecai. Job, our redeemer. He's the Lord of our shepherd in Psalms. Proverbs, he's our wisdom. Ecclesiastes, he's our lover. The Song of Solomon, our beloved fair one. Isaiah, the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the balm of Gilead. Lamentations, the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. Amos, he's the burden bearer. Obadiah, he's a mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our foreign missionary. Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. Zephaniah, he's our savior. Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open in the house of David. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And it continues on in the New Testament. Matthew, he's our Messiah. Mark, he's the wonder worker. Luke, the son of man. John, the son of God. He acts the foundation of the church. In Romans, our justifier. First and second Corinthians, our sanctifier. Galatians, the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's Christ with unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God that supplies all our needs. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. First and second Thessalonians, our soon coming king. In first and second Timothy, he's a mediator between God and man. Titus, he's a faithful pastor. Philemon, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. James, he's our great physician. First and second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. First, second, and third, John, he's love. Jude, he's the coming Lord with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. You won't look anywhere in this book that you won't find Jesus. And Colossians has taught us already that Jesus is everything we need. He's the he's fullness. He's complete fullness. Look at me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired inerrant, all-sufficient word. If you're able, if you're not able to stand, you know, be like that little boy down in the, in the, uh, uh, the principal's office. And the principal had him jerked down and said, you sit down and you stay set down. The little boy mumbled, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's where you are with the word of God. Amen. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as not seen my face in the flesh, 
that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Father, thank you this morning. Beautiful, just time of praise. Lord, you're the name above all names. Hallelujah. I pray you'll have your way in every life in this auditorium today. God, hide me behind the cross. Don't let people see me. Lord, I'm weak. God, I, I, I'm not, Lord, I, I'm not your best vessel. But, oh, God, would you speak through this old vessel? And would you let your Holy Spirit guide and direct every person that's under the sound of my voice? We'll praise you for what you're going to do this great morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This uh, tells us here that everything we need is in Jesus. Paul is in jail in Rome. The pastor Epaphras from Colossae had gone to Rome to tell Paul, uh, look, I've got some problems down here and I need some counsel. And then he also speaks about the church at Laodicea, which was right down the road from Colossae here. In this, we find a concept of a local church. You could join this local church. It had an address. You could go to the services of this local church. If you needed something, you could call this local church. Uh, You could visit them. You could become a part. And we also see churches cooperating with each other in missions, in evangelism, and in discipleship. One of the primary purposes of the New Testament church is to evangelize folk, to win them to Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel. Uh, just, just like we heard, just the gospel. That's what we're to preach. Uh, and, and one of the, uh, we also, though, not only preach the gospel, but we develop those who've accepted Christ as their Savior. We, we, we grow them, we mature them, we work with them. Now, Paul's writing to believers here, and he's wanting to develop strong Christians. He's wanting to toughen up some of those. What is involved in becoming a, a strong Christian? What is involved in that? Well, let me, let me give you first of all this. And, and let me also remind you that the notes are on the app. If you want to get that out and look at that and make everybody think you're reading Facebook, you can look at those notes right there and just follow along with me, all right? First thing, being a strong Christian means it means facing conflict, Somebody sold us some bill of goods when they said, you just get saved and everything's great from then on out. Oh, it's all great from then on out, but there are going to be some roller coaster rides on it too. There are going to be some ups and downs. We got the concept of a local church, but we also have the concept of an invisible body of Christ around the world. You can go to Kenya where they can't understand you. Even in English, you can't understand what they're saying in English. You can go to different countries. It doesn't make any difference. doesn't matter what the, the language barrier is. When you get two Christians joined up together, I'll tell you the Holy Spirit of God will announce to you that he's your brother. And you, there's a kindred right there with those people. And you may not be able to understand a word they say. 
And they may not be able to understand a word you say, but the Holy Spirit brings you together and you know they're one of yours. In heaven, we're going to look at Jesus, praise the Lord. We're going to look at great men and women of the Word of God that's gone on before. But I want to tell you, we're also going to look at other believers, folks that we've had an opportunity to impact in their lives. God is building a church out of every nation, and we're going to surround the throne of the Lord, and we're going to give praise to the head of that, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, I've got conflict here. That means he struggles. <clears throat> excuse me he struggles here he, he paul said i never met these people most of these people never seen me in the flesh yet i'm praying for them i'm struggling how do you minister to those that you don't know well god is a sovereign god and god has chosen prayer as a means that we can minister to people we may not have ever seen doesn't make any difference uh, i want to tell you I, i've tried to show our I, I, let me just tell you what i do and then you do whatever you want to do. You, you ought to be on the prayer list, and we're fine-tuning that. I know the prayer list here, sometimes things get in it that's not really prayer, but we want a concentrated prayer list. You, you just a concentrate. And when that iPhone dings, and there's somebody's got a prayer, let me tell you, pull over on the side of the road right there and stop and pray for that person right then. Don't wait till you get home, you'll forget it. Don't wait till tomorrow, you'll forget it. You stop right there. There's one thing you can do for any believer that you've never met before in your life, and that's pray. That's pray. I want to tell you, a lot of people can stop a lot of things. They can stop, you can't, bless God, you can't carry a cross pen to some places to work because that's offensive. You can't leave your Bible on the desk. That's offensive. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can sit in the middle of them heathens and pray God bring heaven down. You can pray for that group around you that's surrounding you. God, don't let them have any rest at all. Don't let them sleep tonight. May every time they close their eyes, they think of the blood of Jesus, and they need to be saved. God, this person needs to be saved. Whatever you have to do to save this person, get them saved. You can sit right there in the midst of them and pray that, and nobody can do anything about it. Not a word. You kids, they say, oh, you can't pray in school. Hogwash. You can pray anywhere you want to pray. I guarantee you. It doesn't, you don't have to say it out loud. We've got a God that knows every thought. All you've got to do is just think it and you begin to pray. You can pray for situations at school. <clears throat> I prayed for the Astros the other night. <laughs> Some of you kind of got on me. But I'll be honest with you, if we're going to pray for dogs and cats and all that stuff, we ought to pray for the Astros too. But I honored you, and I didn't pray for them last night. You see what happened to them. So tonight we're calling a full-time prayer and fast. <laughs> well, <laughs> prayer. Man, when, when you say, I'm going to be a strong Christian, get ready for conflicts. He, now, now, the Bible says he struggled in prayer. Why in the world would you struggle in prayer? Because I want to tell you something, friend. Prayer is hard work. It's hard work. I mean, we can sit and watch one of my downfalls in this life. I've got two, two or three. But one great downfall is I turn in, I, I sit down in my easy chair, usually about 1130 or 12 o'clock at night, to just kind of unwind. And lo and behold, the devil will send a war movie or an Indian movie. Geronimo was on the other night. 
and you can't go to bed with that stuff on. You, you have to watch it through. Uh, it, it, but I can sit there and watch that show two and a half hours. I can go to a ball game and sit there three hours and hoop and holler and have a great time. But when I begin to pray, man, I want to tell you, did, did I turn the fire off under them beams? Am I sure that door was locked? You know what? I might not have. Who did I send the lunch with my kid this morning? You'll have everything in the world bombarding you. You, you, you got to concentrate. It's struggle. Listen to me. It's a struggle to pray. And that's what Paul is saying here. When you begin to pray, why is it a struggle? Because the devil hates it when you pray. Now, I'll be honest with you. Just shoot straight with you. You can come down here on Sunday morning, wave your hands, shout glory, hallelujah, and all that. He's all right with that. He's all right with that. You don't get no power out of praising the Lord. Power comes through the power of prayer. That's how God ministers through prayer. Now, you get things out of praising the Lord. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your, your power comes from prayer. You want to know? I, I, boy, I, I, I've been reading Psalm 126, and I'm afraid the Lord's going to say just preach that. But I want to tell you something, folks. One of our problems in our churches is we've quit praying and we've quit crying. Praying and crying. Man, I remember growing up, these altars would be full of people weeping over their lost children and, and, and family. You, you don't see that anymore. Does that mean all our family's saved? I don't know you answer that. All your family saved? When's the last time you sat down and just spent about 10 minutes praying, oh, God, do what you've got to do to save my son or save my daughter or save my mama or save my daddy, save some of my family, maybe the people I work with. Some of you have best friends that are better friends to you than your own blood can. And when the rapture comes, you're going to go to heaven and they're going to go to hell. Wow. He comes against us. The devil does. Spiritual warfare is everywhere. I, you, you don't have to be in the ministry to know that people are hurting. Man, the devil's got a stronghold. I see his prints around all the places, demonic spirits. But we've got to stand on the promises, lift up people in prayer, pray that God would set them free, be delivered from alcoholism, materialism, fear, depression, plead the blood of Jesus. George Mueller said this. If you don't know who George Mueller is, you ought to look him up when you get home. He was a tremendous man of God. I don't know how many orphanages he ended up having, how many kids he actually helped. But it was all by faith. It was all by faith. And Mueller, he wasn't like our present-day evangelist and people on TV. Send me your money. Please send me your money. The month's running out. Please send me your money. Mueller made a pact with God that he'd never ask anybody for a dime. When he needed something, he went in his prayer room and said, God, this is, you know the need here. And he stayed on his knees. And I will tell you, if you read the testimony of him time after time after time, when it looked like that whole orphanage was going to shut down, here would come that gift in the mail. He never told a soul about anything he needed. Mueller said this, It's not enough to begin to pray, nor to pray aright, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray, but we must patiently, believing, continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. Some of us have quit too soon. Part of being a strong believer, we're going to face conflict. 
not necessarily against each other. I'm talking about spiritual conflict. If you can just keep your mouth shut, just worship inside here and talk about what a great church we've got, nine times out of ten, the devil will leave you alone. But you start lifting up the name of Jesus. You start telling people it don't matter whether, whether you got Baptist on the name or not. Remember, these name tags are going to fall off on the way up or burn off on the way down when we stand before God. Let me tell you the second thing, being a strong Christian, and, and we got our children in here with us today. Guys, would you all do me a favor? Along about this second or third point, your parents are usually dozing and about asleep. Would you just reach over and give them a good kick and say, are you up? All right. We'll try to stay up and make this real fast this morning. Second thing here is this. Being a strong Christian means growing up. Growing up. What we've done is we have enlarged the age of adolescence. Now, I fix to say something. Some of you are going to get ticked off, but go ahead and get ticked off. See, we've got 29 and 30-year-old boys still living at home, playing video games down in the basement, thinking about maybe we ought to get a part-time job. And mama's still making the beds and changing the sheets and doing the laundry and doing the cooking. Grow up! Man, I mean, you've enjoyed that long enough. This life. <laughs> I, I see the same thing in church. I mean, you, you just want to just grab somebody and say, hey, grow up a little bit. No, I, I need to be spoon-fed. I need to be coddled. I need to be baby. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. The verses 2 and 3 have some special thoughts in them. And some of it's in the King James Version. Some of it's in the, uh, the modern English Standard Version. But there are four words that just pop out here. The first word that comes out in verses 2 and 3 is the word encouraged. I believe with all my heart that discouragement is one of the devil's most powerful tools. He can get you discouraged. Uh, listen, I can't speak for other churches. I'm going to give an account for Woodland Hills Baptist Church. But I want to tell you, in our church, let me just tell you this. You're getting all the discouragement you need at work. You're getting all the discouragement you need at home. You don't need any more discouraging words. When you come to this worship service, this ought to be a time of encouragement. It ought to be a time to lift our souls up to the very presence of God. And I won't tell you, I'll just be honest with you. If you, you say, well, that's just how I am. I'm just a discouraging person. Then go down and join Moberly, okay? <laughs> or, or go over to First Baptist or go, to, go somewhere else. I'm just telling you, when we come in here to praise the Lord, it ought to be a time of encouragement. Folk ought to be lifted up. And those preachers say the same thing. They don't want you down there either. We've got a list of everybody, you know. Wow, be a blessing. You know what it's like to be a blessing? <laughs> the joy when you think you've done something for somebody. Encouragement. Then there's another word, love. Literally means stuck together or glued together. Could I tell you this morning, the motive for growing up is not guilt. If you're here 30 and you're still living in the basement, I'm not trying to guilt you. That's not it. That's not the motive for growing up. The motive for growing up is love. The motive for coming to church is not because the preacher made you feel guilty. The motive for coming to church is, hey, I get to come worship. 
I love the Lord, and I want to worship Him every opportunity. I, I, and you say, how do you know that? Because I've done this before. In my younger years, I thought, man, I'm going to, you, you, listen, you're going to work for God. I, if I have to stand up here on this pulpit, on top of it here with a whip and pop you, I'm telling you, you're going to serve the Lord. Well, I don't get anything done. I'll just be honest. If you don't want to serve the Lord, don't serve the Lord. Those who do want to serve the Lord, we're going to have a blast doing it. If you don't want to come tonight back and hear Brother Cage, well, no, not tonight. Tonight's hot dogs. Everybody will be here tonight. <laughs> corn dogs. <laughs> I think corn dogs. I believe that's the deal. Yeah, homemade, by the way. You don't want to miss that. You can't put folk on a guilt trip of saying, hey, you, all that's going to do is cause them to be more depressed. Listen to me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And not only do I just have it in the Word of God, Him telling me so, He proved it and demonstrated it by coming to a place called Calvary and dying for my sin on that cross. And then they put Him in that borrowed tomb of Joseph's and He couldn't stay there but three days. Death couldn't hold Him. On the third day, He arose again and He ascended up into heaven and He's coming back one day. I don't want to come to church because of guilt. I I come because I love him. Then there's a word riches. And that catches everybody's uh, eyes when you talk about being rich. Could I just tell you this morning, if you're saved, you are spiritually wealthy. You're not poor. You're not on the bottom end of the scale. You are wealthy. This talks of all the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. You, You won't live long enough to explore all of the blessings that God has for you. You will not do it. And then, bless God, when you get to heaven, I have not seen nor ear heard what the Father has in store for us. We're going to be in awe. We're going to be in awe. Then he he gives this uh, uh, last thought here is assurance. In the full assurance. See, this pastor, Epaphras, is afraid that his church is going to be messed up by the Gnostics. Uh, because they'd come in and said, we, we've got something you don't know about. If you'll let us come in or you'll come over to our Bible study, uh, we'll show you some things that are deeper in the Lord that you don't know anything about, and we can help you. Paul is writing here, in Jesus, you can be assured that you know everything you need to know. Everything. Somebody comes along and says, why don't you come to our Bible study over at our house? We've got this man, and he's teaching a new thing. You do whatever you want to do. You're grown. But I run from those people. I've had people look at me straight in the face, and I, I, I really need to address this to Brother Case, I guess. Looks like he's got a chance to pastor this church after I leave. I'll be going to glory any time now. Don't weep. I'm in. I'm having a time. But I had a guy two weeks ago, and they, they're going to ease out of here because my preaching's boring. And I said, well, you know, I've been told off by the best. What do you mean it's boring? He said, well... We're over at this thing where this, this pastor's got a new angle, a new twist. 
And, and it's exciting. And, and Brother Charles, we love you, but you, you're still preaching about the blood. And you still preach about the cross. And, and honestly, we've about had a belly full of that. We've had all that we want. And I just want to encourage Brother Case, in 47 years, <laughs> I've never gotten weary about telling the old, old story. Every time I think about it, how God would leave heaven and come to this earth to die for my sin and, and then prepare a way for me to go to heaven, I stand in awe. What's wrong is we've lost our awe. We're in awe of the world and we're in awe of this and the buildings and we're in awe of all the modern cars. But let me tell you, when it comes to God, oh, oh yeah, we, we, we're saved. We, we, we're going to heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you. Well, if you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. And I pray this church will continue to stand on the word of God. Not next year, not five years. I pray when I look down from heaven in 30 years, somebody will still be here pounding this pulpit saying, only way you can be saved is come to Jesus by the blood of the cross. That's it. Now, the world doesn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it now, and they'll want to hear it less next year, and they'll want to even hear it less the next year. And there'll be people that say, I can't buy into this no more. But I want to encourage you to stay firm. Give me the third thing. i got to hurry. Being a strong Christian means detecting traps. Detecting traps. Uh, we need to watch out. The devil's always setting a trap. Sometimes he blindsides us, but a lot of times he, he just sets a trap. Now, what's happening here in verse 4 is the false teachers are coming in, and you know what they're doing? They're making the lies not sound like lies. See, that's, that's the coming of the Lord when men call evil good and good evil. I think he could come any day. There are three big traps that we need to be careful of. The first one is humanism. And it's in every school textbook there is. It's in every one of them. Thank God for Christian teachers that can put a Christian slant on it. But I'll tell you, the day will come when they're going to be knocked out too. It's coming. Humanism. You can pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Let me tell you something. Were it not for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be sitting up and breathing today. It's completely the grace of God. And then there's liberalism. Hallelujah. Don't you love those liberals? There's no such thing as a miracle. They don't believe in the miracles. They didn't happen. No, all that about the, the, the rivers turning to blood. No, no, no. They had a big thunderstorm up there in the mountains, and it washed that red rock down into that river, and that's what turned that river red. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, it wasn't the Red Sea that Moses crossed. It was a sea of reeds. And any idiot knows it's only six inches deep. Now we've got to find out how God destroyed the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. I mean, we make, we make the miracle bigger when we say it's no miracle. But liberalism is, is abounding. I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about the church. We're, we're sitting here this morning, 
If somebody would have told me 20 years ago, Brother Dale, that half of the Southern Baptist churches in our convention would not believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, I'd have said, you crazy. Everybody believes that. No, they don't. No, they don't. And they're false enough to try to convince you they do, but they don't. That third one's one that most of us are in. Phariseeism. So I didn't know that was a word. It's not. I couldn't find it, but I made it up. <laughs> it's the way of the Pharisees. That's Phariseeism. Amen? <laughs> what the Phariseeism does is this. We're all prone this way. If I can do enough good works, one day I'm going to get to heaven. See, we, we say we're not, but we're lying. We're a performance-based Christianity. You let this church take a nosedive and begin to go under, and my very dear friends in this place will say, Preacher, it's time for you to leave. Because it's based on performance. You get the choir down to where there's 15 people up here. Somebody said, Brother Aaron, time for you to head out. Because it's based on performance. Performance. Let me tell you, Christianity is not based on performance. There's a lot of false teachers that sound intriguing that makes the pastor look boring. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I remember several years ago, and you, many of you remember too, there was a guy on the radio, and he had money. People were supporting him. Had stations, owned stations all over. And he predicted that the Lord was coming back on this particular date. Now, I love folk who will do that. Because I want to tell you how you know a false prophet. When they prophesy something and it's not true, that means they're lying. That means they're a false prophet. But hey, he said he made a mistake. People had, I mean, trusted him and he said, I just made a mistake. So he sets another date. Well, Jesus didn't come that day either. Folks had sold their stock giving away their money. Families had been split. I mean, all of this. And this guy says, I apologize. And you know what people do in the church? Give him a free ride. And, you know, he's doing the best he can. Well, brother, you let, you let somebody not get to shake hands with the preacher here, and we're cream corn. Well, I better get off of here. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Let me tell you one more thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm through. <laughs> I had a guy call me about three or four years ago from here. They're not here now. His wife was a member here. He wasn't. He's lost. He's lost. And when he called me on the phone, I thought, and, and Kay said, so-and-so wants to talk to me. I said, okay. Well, maybe, man, I was prayed quickly. God, maybe he's ready to be saved. Would you? Well, he wasn't. He said, Preacher, you've got to do something about my wife. I said, well, uh, you know, could I meet? No, I don't need to meet with you. She needs to meet with you. She is supporting this guy on the radio. And he's a nut. He's a fruitcake. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this lost guy has more discernment than this saved woman. Huh? 
I mean, come on, guys. Quit falling for every flake that comes by. Get in the Word of God. You may not know all their names, but when it doesn't jive with this book, it ain't from God. Because this book is true. Let me give you this next to last one. Being a strong Christian in the Lord means protecting others. Ola, I love Paul as he writes his book at Colossians, uh, to the church at Colossae. He doesn't burn them up. He doesn't criticize them. He, he, he's not sending a letter to wear them out. He's sending a letter trying to encourage them. He said, I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep studying, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep giving. Remain steadfast. I want you to grow in the Lord. Put on your big britches and grow. Those of you who have been around here for the last 13 years, my favorite illustration, and it's always in our uh, fundraising books, always on the last page, has been for 40-something years. There are, in Israel, there are three streams that form together to make the Jordan River. And then there are two bodies of water. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee is one of the most beautiful places. Just life everywhere, greenery. And even when we get there uh, this year, if you go to Israel with us, we'll eat St. Peter's fish from there. I mean, it's just good. It's good. But the same river that flows into the Sea of Galilee flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is so dead, bacteria won't even grow in it. I mean, when you get in it, it's almost like an oily thing. It's so heavy with salt and dead. You know the difference between those two bodies? What Same river feeds them. Jordan River feeds them. Same river. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River comes out, and then it gives out. The Dead Sea, the Jordan River comes in, and it stops. There's no outlet from the Dead Sea. If you're a child of God this morning, you're one of those two. You're either a Sea of Galilee or you're a Dead Sea. God didn't bless you so you could hoard it up and say, well, I've been so blessed of God. God blessed you so that you could turn around and bless others and be a blessing to them. Let me give you the last thing I'm through. Being a strong Christian involves moving forward. I, I wish... In the modern cars, we used to have a car. Becky and I married, and it was a little old Toyota. <clears throat> we, they called us to this church and said, first thing you got to do is get rid of that Toyota. We're a union church. You've got to buy an Oldsmobile or something like that. And, and they helped me do that. We had a little Toyota with one kid and a dog in the back that didn't have a reverse. It had a reverse. It just wouldn't work. You learn to park that thing on a hill where it would roll back, or you park straight. I wish sometimes cars didn't even have a reverse. I wish sometimes churches didn't have a reverse. But listen to me. If you believe that Jesus can come at any time, take out your rearview mirror. Quit looking behind you. Take out the reverse. There's only one direction we need to go, and that's forward. That's forward. Some of you think, well, he's getting old. He's going to settle down. You better get you some more volume. I'm not settling down. 
I, 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 my energy's coming back. I mean, I, I'm telling you, we're not going backward. And we're not going to stay in neutral. We're moving forward. Moving forward. Some people say, I, I, I'm going to get saved. No, you're not going to get saved. Well, I don't feel like it. You don't base your salvation on feelings. You base your salvation on the Word of God. Walk in Him. And then verse 7 goes, takes it even to another level when he says, rooted, literally, and built up in him. And then he says, established in the faith. That speaks of consistency. And then abounding therein. That talks about overflowing. I don't know about you, but I love being around Christians where their life's just overflowing. Because I like to get in on that. Some of them like vacuum cleaners. They're just sucking you in. I like to be around those that are overflowing. Love abounding. Moving forward. How can you prove you're a good Christian? How do we know who the good, strong believers are and who they're not? Well, let's see. Let's say, let's compare him to Samson. That'd be a strong believer. Boy, he was strong. He stood in that temple and took them post and literally brought them in on him. And that whole temple demolished. Surely he'd be a strong believer. Mm. Well, there's Moses. He, he lifted up his hand and the Red Sea parted. They went through on dry ground. Surely he would be a strong believer. How about Elijah? He called fire down from heaven. It's got to be John the Baptist. Nobody preached like him. You don't want to know how you can know if you're a strong believer? It's one little word called consistency. Consistency. Doing the things of God. Consistent. I read an illustration about an old farmer who went to town to purchase some seeds for his farm. As he was returning home, one of the squash seeds he had purchased, fell from his pocket onto the ground there. and It was a, within a few feet of another seed there, different type. And the place where the two seeds led, uh, uh, laid there were, was, was really very fertile. It was good ground. And uh, they took root. And after about a week, the squash, sowed, uh, squash seed showed signs of growth. And the second seed, there was no growth. And after two weeks, the squash began to sprout leaves, and second seed, still nothing. After seven weeks, the squash began to show fruit. That second seed still did not show anything. Four more weeks came and gone. The squash plant reached the end of its life, bearing much fruit in that time. But the other seed finally began to grow slowly. Many years later, the squash was all but forgotten. But that other seed had produced a mighty oak tree. See, we've got a lot of folk here today that want to be like squash Christians. Bam, bam, let's get it on. And then a year from now, what, what, what happened to them? Where are they at? The Christian life is not like planting squash. It's like planting an acorn. The Bible says we need to be rooted, strongly rooted. I, I, I think, if I'm right, I think, Bill Darby told me that, I think. I haven't read it, 
but Bill's always truthful. <laughs> we were, it may not have been Bill, I don't want to, I don't, it may not have been. But they tell me that the giant redwood trees, you would think, I mean, you know, most of the time a tree has about half as much root underground as it does above ground. And you would think those redwood trees that are 80 and 90 feet tall, man, they would have, but, but somebody told me that their root system goes very shallow. They just wrap around each other and become strong. What a picture of the New Testament church. When you're doing what God called you to do, and I'm doing what God called me to do, and they're doing what God called them to do, this church just moves on. Now, and I want to tell you, it may not move as fast as some other churches you're thinking about. It may not. I'm, you, are you worried about it? I'm not worried about that. I can't keep up with y'all now. When there's 700 of you here, I'm not sure what's going to happen when there's 1,500 of you here. But that'll happen too. But when we are rooted together and joined together, I'll tell you, Hell can send whatever it wants to against us. We'll withstand it through the power of God. Father, thank you this morning. I pray today. Lord, there are people in this place that need a church home. And I pray this would be the day that they say, look, man, we want to become part of a local church. We want to be rooted in a system. We want to be sold out for Jesus. And we want to follow the Lord. There are others in this place this morning that we've spoken to this very day. And Lord, the truth is they have no relationship with you whatsoever. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to knock on their heart's door, to ring their bell, to pull their chain, that where they'll come down this aisle and say, look, I don't understand all this, but I know I'm not saved, and I want to follow Jesus right now. And Father, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit lives would be changed. God, there are some in this place that they know you. Lord, they love you. But they've just let the things of this world come in and crowd out all the things of God. And Lord, today, would you speak to their heart? Would you speak, Lord Jesus, and let them obey? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.